0: God's plan for the renewal of heaven and earth is much like his plan described in the Old Testament. He is a refining fire that gives way to new growth like in Isaiah 6.13 and elsewhere. This is how God's people overcome while under attack. We got it. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Today's sermon from the book of Revelation, our final sermon from this book. This comes from chapter 22, verses 12 through 21. Behold, the Lord says, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning. And the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Have a seat. I'm glad you could join us this morning. This is the final sermon from our entire series in the book of Revelation. Uh, It's been over a year, not 52 sermons uh, we've had a few breaks for one-offs or uh, a brief sermon series in the summer, but we are now in what's called the epilogue of the book of Revelation. Uh, both Pastor Tim Bice and I uh, preaching through this to our churches, uh, Greenbrier Church in Albany, our sister church from Acts 29, uh, and us, Restoration City Church. He and I both have expressed for the last few weeks... Uh, uh, two seemingly conflicting emotions. Uh, they're not in conflict. They just fold together like husband and wife. But uh, uh, we're, we're glad to see the conclusion to the b- book of Revelation, our sermon series. And, and we're also sad to see the conclusion, almost like getting to the end of a long-running television show that you love dearly, uh, getting the end of a series of books. Let's say you're, you're getting close to the end of the final book of the Harry Potter series, Uh, But this is amped up even more because that's all fiction and this is true. Um, The Lord's primary purpose of writing this book. Why did Jesus give this to the church? Why did he give this vision, these words to the Apostle John, with the instructions to faithfully write it down and give it not only to the seven churches of Asia Minor, but also for it to be preserved for the churches that John had no idea about, this one, What is this book for? The Lord's primary purpose. Our our God is not a unitasker. He's a multitasker. He's the multitasker. But his primary purpose for giving us this letter is for our perseverance. The book of Revelation is given to you for your perseverance. He's giving us a way to overcome when under attack. That's been our sermon series tagline. How to remain in faith while you live in a faithless world. How to conquer the person and the works of Satan and dark spiritual forces and the unbelieving systems of a world opposed to Christ and indeed your own sinful, wicked, natural-born flesh. This letter is written in apocalyptic language, meaning it's been full of mysterious symbols and metaphors and imagery. And the the Lord has given John and to us visions of the past and present and the future. My, My teaching to you, I've laid before you, is that some of what's in this book, the book of Revelation, is in the future, but it's not all in the future. Some of it. The Lord is showing to his apostle John, and he's showing to us, not only his future activity, but his hidden and revealed, concealed activity in the past and the present of his plan for human redemption. It's been like a, a stage curtain, drawn back so that the Lord could give to John and us the, the drama that has unfolded since, since before the Garden. In some ways, and all the way to the end to the new garden, the new creation. It's the drama of God's historical and future redemptive narrative. And last week, we, we saw uh, in verse 6 of Revelation chapter 22, we saw that uh, metaphorically, this metaphorical, dr- dramatic uh, presentation is over. The, the curtain has now been drawn back and closed, and the Lamb of God, Jesus, the, the author, the author, and the opener of this scroll, he comes out and stands on the stage in front of the the, the curtain to deliver a final word to us, his hearers. And that word is, behold, I, I'm coming soon. All of this has happened, is happening, and will come to pass. It must come to pass. He's told John multiple times, you need to write these things down because these are the things that must come to pass. So I want to start this sermon after that, just kind of... What are we doing here? I want to start with this. Have you ever been maybe on a vacation, right? Maybe on a vacation, but specifically if you're a Christian and you have some Christian life, some religious life in you, some church life in you, and you know, anyone ever gone to like a church camp or a retreat or a conference, or maybe you've gone to like a really spectacular church service and the Lord took you to the mountain, right? It's like the whole rest of the world disappeared for you and, and all you had was all you needed. And, man, you were there with the Lord. Maybe there was a dynamic teaching or teacher. There was really just inspiring and, and Holy Spirit-driven, empowered worship. And the Lord was, like, giving you insights and, and, and putting fire in your belly, right? The, the volume of all the world that you left to come to that conference or that church service or whatever it is, the volume on that got turned down to zero, but then, if you've ever been there, how many of you have also experienced this? You get back on the bus to go home, you get back on the plane to go home, you, you turn your phone back on maybe near the end of the conference or right after sun, and boom, 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 boom. those are notifications on your phone, by the way. It's not, a, it's not a really happy horse, right? And the volume on the world just gets turned back up to 11. You're on the mountaintop and now like, oh no, I'm sliding down this really slick, muddy hill back into the dark valley where it's cold and loud. It could be uh, the business of your work or being needed at home or frustrations with friends or family or maybe even your church or your neighbors, Uh, but your stress gets built, your anger simmers underneath, and all of a sudden, this loud and awesome music of the beauty and the glory and the goodness of God that you've been enjoying, all of a sudden, it's like, I can't even find the knob. I can't hear it. Where, how did that go away so fast, and how is all the, the craziness back loud again? Um, there, was a, there was a famous and important theologian and pastor hundreds of years ago. His name was Richard Baxter. He lived in England, and he was a very prolific pastor and theologian and writer. Um, but he suffered terribly in this world if you go Wikipedia he just had a hard life right he like he understands what Paul the apostle says when he said yeah, I had a thorn in my side this dude had a thorn everywhere and uh, and yet he he spent his life faithfully believing and loving and trusting the Lord and preaching his word faithfully doing the good works the Lord has set before him not perfectly but repentantly and, and near the end of his life just he was asked like how did you stay, not just how did, not only how did you stay in ministry, but how have you stayed with God? With all that he has permitted to pass through his hand, that has landed on you to smite you, to lay you low. How did you stay with the Lord? How did you stay in faith? And his response was real simple. He said, I think about heaven for 30 minutes every day. I commit myself to prayer. I commit myself to the Bible. But I think about heaven for 30 minutes every day. Which leads me to the main point of this final sermon. Returning to the return of Christ is your power to persevere. This word has been given to you so you can persevere in faith, so you can stay with Jesus. You can overcome the attacks of Satan in an unbelieving world that wants to woo you away from your faith in the Lord, so that you can persevere and and put to death what is sinful in you, and walk in the new person that God has given you, your power to do that. One of the means, one of the one of the most ultimate and, and extraordinary means of you to, in persevering is to return and return and return. To the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation. In verse 12, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. On, on this day, Jesus is going to bring both the positive and the negative components of his judgment. For those who have rejected his grace and forgiveness, he'll He'll bring disastrous judgment based on what? Their works. i bring my recompense with me and I'm going to repay each one according to what he has done. For those who have received his grace and forgiveness, he's going to bring a reward that we anticipate based on It works. Some of you should be getting nervous. Some of you should squirm a little bit, like, "Ooh, this doesn't, hold on. And you're, I know, Matt's playing a little tension game, and he's going to, you know. yeah, I will. But we just need to interpret the Bible as plainly as possible, as plainly. We can't take everything literally because not everything is expressed literally. Every symbol does point to a literal thing. So if we can't read it always and only metaphorically and always or always and only literally, then we need to read it just as plainly as possible. Let's not let's not turn the very simple math of the Lord's language at times into trigonometry when he's just going, no, 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 just one plus one is two. Just... I want to make this clear and emphasize this. No one is saved into Christ and his kingdom by their works. You are not saved. According to your works, Ephesians chapter 2 and the rest of the Bible is abundantly clear. You are not saved into Christ, into salvation, into his kingdom. You don't receive the approval of God on you according to anything you have done or have not done. But every human being will be judged according to their works. It's not salvation by works that Christ is talking about. It's judgment according to works. That's what he's talking about. Those who have rejected his grace and decided that they're going to answer for themselves, he's going to judge them according to what they've done, the fruit they've borne. And for those who have received his grace and trust in his mercy, he's going to judge them to their reward according to what? their works, what they have done. Which is why the Bible says over and over again in places like Galatians chapter six, verse nine, so don't grow weary of doing good, but endure, persevere in doing good. In Matthew chapter seven, starting verse 15, Jesus himself says, beware of false prophets, people who who either are making junk up about what I say, or they're taking what I've said and they're leaving some out, or they're adding a little extra in. Beware of them, because they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You don't see it, but they are. Jesus says, I, I see everyone. I don't judge only by the outer, I judge by the inside. You'll recognize them by their, anyone know? By their fruits. What they do, what they produce. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Are figs gathered from thistles? It's rhetorical. Everyone knows? No. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. It's not the fruit that you are bearing that makes you what you are, what you are produces what you bear. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits, by their works. 16 through 23 in Matthew chapter 7, he goes on to go, listen, um, someday when it comes to the judgment, I'll be on my throne and all men will come to me, all human beings. In the... And there's going to be some people to come in going, Lord, Lord, hey, what's up, pal? Hey, I, I preached, I planted churches, I healed people, I casted out Demons. In your name. Where's the mansion? I can't wait. And Jesus is going to go, get away from me. I never knew you. Because he knows that that's not the fruit of what was inside them. What he's saying is, you know, I never knew you because you didn't do those things for me. You did them for yourself. You thought you could save yourself by doing the good things that I tell people to do. But you can't become the good person by doing the good things. You, you you, and I need Christ to do something to us and in us and for us that we can't do if we're ever going to do anything that could actually please him. Otherwise, for a person who rejects and does not trust in and receive and believe <laughs> the, in the saving, merciful, forgiving power and work of God, then even your righteous deeds become wicked sins, because God is insulted when He said, when, "When you say to him, look at what I did. Look. Not look at what you did, but look at what I did. Of course I'm on your team, right? I'm, I'm like you. Jesus is both promising. He's making a promise in verse 12, and he's giving a warning. He's a multitasker, Right? To to unbelievers, he's saying, if you reject the grace of the cross, you're trying to justify yourself into my kingdom on your own according to your works. So I I will judge your salvation and damnation according to these works. I'll do as you ask. You don't want my weight on the scale. You want your weight on the scale? Okay. That's what I'll put on there. To the Christian, he gives the promise. Because you accept my grace, because you take me as your your king, as you're already saved, I've saved you, then I promise to take into judgment your obedience as you've walked in the good works that I saved you into. And Jesus isn't going to miscount. He's not going to leave anything out. In fact, he's going to find possibly, probably, I think likely, for many Christians if not all of us he's probably going to find some things that you don't know about I want to serve you this will make the sermon go longer I'm sorry already I want to help you there's a moment when you go to the, the throne and if you are in Christ he's gonna he's going to judge your works to your reward. And he's going to point to some things that you thought you really failed at. Your faith was weak. You relate to obedience. You, you, had a, you had more fear than courage. You didn't prepare enough for the moment to say the thing or do the thing, it was half hearted measure. It didn't work out well, the person didn't get saved. They just rejected Jesus more, and 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 you're pretty sure you're you're sure but it's because you messed up. In that moment, Jesus is going to go, "Hey, I, let's talk about that." And you're like, "Oh no, I thought we were talking about my reward." He goes, "Yeah, I saw that. You knew you weren't enough. You knew you were failing. You you, you knew you weren't prepared. You had very very little faith. You were so weak. You obeyed me." But it was terrible. It was wonderful. I love obedience. I love it when you trust me. I don't expect you to accomplish and succeed. I expect you to obey and and trust me and be faithful. I saw that. Good job. He's going to find stuff all over the place in the life of his Christians. And right now, to you and your life, as you look at yourself, they don't look like trophies. He's going to find all sorts of trophies. Behold, I'm coming soon, and I bring my recompense, and I'm going, I'm going to deal with you and repay you, not according to your sins or iniquities, but I'm going to repay you according to your faith in me and obedience. This ought, this ought to stir up in a Christian a good and godly motivation To do good. To say the good words of Jesus and to do the good works of Jesus. A motivation for reward. Yes, you ought to do this good because Jesus himself says, I lay out before you a reward of good. It is a godly motivation to obey the Lord for the promise of reward, of treasure. It's not a matter, it's it's not a sin to want the treasure. It's a sin depending, it's a sin or righteousness just depending on where your treasure is at that you're going after. Here or in heaven? Is it a man treasure, a man reward, or is it a treasure and reward that only God himself can give? Jesus himself gives us A godly motivation to do good for a godly reward. If you're going to be motivated like this, if you want to remind yourself and stick to this promise of Jesus, then you're going to have to come back to the book of Revelation. You're going to have to come back to the book of Revelation. Come back, and you need to lay your eyes on the king and his kingdom. You you need to come back and dream and meditate on and pray for and anticipate the day that Jesus Christ will return and bring his kingdom and his reward for his people. Which, again, brings me to tell you, returning to the return of Christ is your power to persevere, to persevere in faith and to persevere in the good works that erupt from true saving faith. I want you think of the kid who who suffers through the waiting of three months until his parents take him to the Disney take him to the Disney, to, to Disney World? Right? If if you remember if you were a kid and your parents ever were able to take you to Disney World, and he's, hey, three months, we're going to Disney World. That kid has to suffer through three months of, of waiting. Do you know what keeps him going? Do you, you know what makes him not lose his mind? Right? It's he's got a map of Disney World. And he's dreaming, he's plotting. Maybe he's, maybe he's got a mom like my wife, Shannon, and, and they've already sat down on the internet and they're plotting out all their fast passes, right? They're watching YouTube videos of the rides. He is, he is sticking in faith and anticipation of this great day by thinking of that great day. Because his mom and dad are going, until then... You need to do a lot of chores and you need to save up your money. How is he gonna keep on that track to do his chores and save his money and not squander it and not be lazy and not earn? Hey, the day is coming. We'll be in Disney. And you're you're gonna to want to buy some stuff. How is and you're gonna to need to obey. Listen, I don't have to take you to Disney World. So you're gonna to need to obey. Don't ruin this. How does he how does he keep from ruining it? Right? He's going. Well, one, he's got loving parents who will love him no matter what. But two, he's going to keep on thinking about Disney World and how worth it all of this is going to be. And Disney World, no matter how awesome it is, and I do think it's pretty awesome, it, it can never meet, your expect, it'll never meet your expectations, but this new creation and the kingdom of Christ, it'll ex- exceed your expectations. And Jesus is going, stick with me. I'm coming soon. Verse 13 and 14. It's guaranteed. He, he, he validates. He validates and vindicates his promise and his warning by saying, Hey, listen, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet, Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. He says, From A to Z and all in between, I'm in charge. Of all of human history, all of human destiny and history that was written in the scroll in the hand of God on the throne in Revelation 4 and 5, that's been unfolded and read and revealed to us in the book of Revelation, he's qualified to judge the entire human race because he's the author and the opener and the accomplisher of that scroll. He is history's Lord. And he is eternity's Lord. And so he says, blessed is the one who washes their robe. You know what blessed means? Like when the Bible talks about this, it's just got a, a variety of synonyms that all point to the similar feeling and idea. To be blessed means to be fortunate. And I don't mean lucky. To be blessed means you're a recipient of favor. You're liked. You're approved of. Someone has assured you, I like you. Hey, I know you. I like you. I'm for you. I got your back. I want good for you. To be blessed means to be made happy, to be made relieved, to be made peaceful in your mind and heart. This person will be happy. This person will be at peace. This person is favored who washes their robes. You know your robes are dirty, right? You know your do- your robes are dirty. You're born that way. But do you know how to Do you know how to wash your robes? It's by the blood of the lamb. It's the only detergent that can get get rid of the stain. By washing your robes the blood of the lamb faith and it's by walking in faith being saved and walking in your salvation daily working out your salvation in fear and trembling working from your salvation walking in the works that he has predestined you to do beforehand which he saved you into remember earlier in revelation where it's the wedding feast of the lamb and the lord himself says listen there's my bride and and the bride is the one, she, she has washed her gown white and clean and pure. And what, is, what, is, what does Revelation say? How did she do that? With her good deeds. Which is it? Is it faith or is it works? The answer is yes. One precedes the other. A hundred percent. You don't get to skip to two. Two, you're damned. One, then two. Woo. One only, never Two. You need to really consider whether or not one's happened. Why would we ever pit faith and works against each other? That's a husband and wife. And what the Lord puts together, no one's supposed to get in between that and separate. Why would we make those two fight? We are to wash our robes by the blood of the lamb. Verse 15, Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral, the murderers and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. So in keeping with the imagery of the, the city, he's now talking about the people who are external to the eternal fellowship of God's people in the new creation. These are people who don't have God's presence, and they don't have God's presence to bless. See, Theologically, we can take the whole of the Bible and recognize that our God is omnipresent. There is nowhere and no time that he's not in. He's not present in. So in the lake of fire, Hades, hell, God is most certainly there. His presence is there, but his presence is not there to bless. His presence is there to curse, to punish by removing his felt presence These are people who have rejected Christ and they kept a tight grip on the sin that makes their robes dirty. They aren't in hell ultimately because they committed some sins, some specific, really egregious sins that are just right out. It's not even a certain set of sins. By God's grace, the, the Roman Catholic Church is wrong in categorizing levels of sin, some of which are automatically damning. There's just no recovery. And some of which, oh, you yeah, might be able to slide by. The only thing wrong with that is the word of God everywhere. Because some of us have, we've committed these sins. No. They are in hell, not because they committed some sins or a certain set of sins or sort of sins. It's because they loved their sin, and they hated God by rejecting him. They don't want the grace of God in Christ because they don't think they need the grace of God in Christ Jesus because they don't think they're that bad. And the judgment according to our works will in reality be a judgment on, not on the not on the quality of our faith, but on the nature of our faith. Because see, here's the deal: you're still in good shape. You still have the approval of God, even on those days where you have .000001 faith, but have such little faith. Because it's not the quality or the strength of your faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith that carries all the strength. The judgment of works is not a judgment of the quality of your faith. It's the nature of your faith. And the behavior of a person's life is always, and without exception, the ultimate and final indication of what you really believe. I'll say that in short. Behavior is born of belief. Behavior is born of belief. Belief. And you don't believe what you don't want to believe. You believe what you do want to believe. Human beings act from their want. We do. What about? I've done plenty of things that I didn't really want to do. Yeah, because there was a deeper desire that you had, and you knew that you're going to have to give up this lesser desire in order for you to to fulfill a greater and deeper desire. I don't want to spank my son. I, I don't like seeing him cry, I don't like seeing him hurt. But more, more desperately than not wanting to see him hurt as a little boy because I spanked him, dis- discipling him and disciplining him over his sin, the, my greater desire is not to see him kill himself in lifelong disobedience. Someday when he's no longer under my roof and he's not under my authority, I, I need him now to learn and be trained how to obey the Lord, his Father in heaven. When. His father on earth isn't around no more. So I want him to learn how to obey his father. We do what we want, and behavior is born of a belief. You aren't saved according to your works, but you are judged according to your works. And those outside the city, they're judged by their works only, because that's what they had their faith in. That's what they have their faith in. Verse 16 Christ says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you. Plural, that's you. In the Greek, it's plural. I didn't do that work. Tim Bice just threw that in the notes. He goes, by the way, that's plural. He's talking to a group. Was like, thanks, Tim. I didn't go to pastor school, but you did. Thank you, man. I have testified. I've sent my angel to testify to you about these things for who? For who? For the churches. For the churches? For my people. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Uh, star. You is plural, and it's to you, the believers of the seven churches of Asia Minor, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, and it's to you, to us, God's people, the universal church, the visible and invisible church in all times and all places from all people. He's testified to us, and what has he told us? Well, here he says, I'm I'm the root and I'm the descendant of David, which, if you're not super familiar with the Bible, like, it's going to, okay, well, all right, that's interesting. Well, you might be tempted to read that too fast. Let me tell you this. Who's this David, all right? David was the greatest historical king of the Israelites, of the Jews. He was the second king, the second earthly king that God gave. First one was Saul. Didn't work out so well. That's the people the, that's, that's the king that people voted for themselves. They elected, and then God goes, "Okay, I'm holding another election, and there's only one ballot, and it's mine. I cast the vote, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pick my guy." Okay, and it's David. He for the for the Jews, even, even in mod, in the modern day, for the Jews, uh, David's like they're George Washington, or they're uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln, but but greater and better. He's like their King Arthur, except he's real, and not based on myth. And all throughout the Old Testament, God makes a promise that there is a king coming for his people who is from the line of David, and he's going to appear as what's called the Messiah, the Savior of the world who's going to rule the world. And and Jesus is often referred to in the Gospels as Son of David. He's the descendant of David. And so when you go back to uh, the Gospels, there's like at least two of them have like this. what do you call this? Anc- the, an- genealogy, thank you. I was just going to do this ancestry.com thing, right? This genealogy. And they, they, trace Dave, they trace Jesus and his genetic and his legal bloodline all the way back to David. It goes right through David. He's a descendant of David, fulfilling the prophecy, the, fulfilling the promise of God. He's claiming to be the Messiah, God's coming king, who's going to punish God's enemy, save God's people, And rule the recreated world. But Jesus Christ is not only the descendant because, well, he says himself, before Abraham was, I am. Okay, Abraham? Abraham's the father of the Jews, first guy that God called and said, hey, you're my guy, I'm your God, I'm going to reveal myself to you, it's through you that I'm going to make a people, and it's through you that I'm going to bless all the peoples of the world, through Jesus, his ultimate descendant. And Jesus goes, before Abraham, I was. Well, you are descended from Abraham, how could you, because I'm I'm, I'm the God-man. I'm, I'm fully God and I'm fully man. As, as Jordan rightly pointed out today during our catechism, he's fully God and fully man. He is not only the offspring of David, the descendant, but he's the root, he's the source of David. He's the bright morning star. The promise of the book of Isaiah, chapter 60, verse 1 through 3. You can go back and read this, Isaiah 60, 1 through 3. But he's this new He's the new morning. The dark's gone away and a new morning has risen. And it's this Jesus, the bright morning star, who will on this day say once again over the whole universe, let there be light. He said it once. He's going to say it again. Let there be light. And that's me, Jesus. Jesus. It's the reward of those who conquer. And, and they, they keep Christ's promises and they keep Christ's faith and they keep Christ's works. In the book of Revelation chapter 2, this is the promise to those who overcome in the church of Thyatira. In verse 17, we continue the spirit and the bride say, "Come," and let the one who hears, let the one who hears, here's what? This thing, the book of Revelation, this prophecy, and indeed, by the way, the whole thing, this whole book, all the word of God. Let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. In the Gospels, when Jesus is talking, anytime he talks about hearing, there's two types of people. Those who hear, but they don't hear because they don't have ears to hear, and those who hear, and they hear because they have ears to hear. And there are some people that he says stuff to, but he doesn't explain it, and it's really wacky. And then his disciples get together after in a Bible study at, at, at Subway, and they go, uh, what was that? He goes, oh, and he explains what he meant. And they go, why didn't you tell that to them? And he goes, oh, if I told it to them, they would have understood it. They would have had ears to hear. That's a mystery. Wait, what, Jesus, Hold on. Well, maybe they would have had ears to hear, but it's not time for them to be damned yet. And if they'd heard the way they really need to hear, they'd have sent themselves to hell right then by trying to kill me, by trying to expedite my crucifixion, which is coming. That sort of thing, right? It is mercy upon these people. And so when he says, let the one who hears, he's, he's talking to people who can hear because he's given them ears to hear it. Some would argue that this uh, this moment right here, this this come, 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 that's it's a call of evangelism to the lost. It could be. I think there's room for that. But the audience, the audience of this letter is who? The church. I think the church ought to take this letter to the audience of the world, the lost, and go, this is what he says to me. This is what he's saying to you through me, and I'm part of the church. You're not in it. Come, come and take the water of life that Jesus offers without price. Come on. But before he ever says it to the lost, he says it to you. And before he ever said it to you when you were lost, he said it to someone who was saved who then came to you. In the revelation, the bride is always seen from the vantage point of her glorification, her perfected status, because that's how she's going to be in the eternity. Now, there's a contrast here because there's this thing. There, there are two seemingly conflicting truths about this world, about God's return, about, about you. In Latin, theologically, we might refer to this as, uh, as a Christian. You are simul justus et peccator. Don't even try to write it down. Simul justus et peccator, which means in the same moment, you are both sinner and saint. You're both sinner and saint. I'm a sinner. I am. I sin. I sin, like you know. Well, Pastor Matt, you're not that bad. So you're like, shut up. He is way worse. But I anyway, mean, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. How am I doing today? Already, not awesome. How are you doing? That's the greatest commandment. We are sinners. We're sinning. But then he also calls us saints how is that possible there's a now and not yet it's a arrived and on its way truth the bride of Christ the church we have to tell the truth about the church 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 is full of hypocrites is it I know this pulpit is filled by a hypocrite too much at the time I have to confess and repent of, especially to those who have a front row seat in my, my life, my wife, and my kids. church is full of hypocrites. Yeah, but it's not full. There's room for you. Where do you go, hypocrite? Where do you go? You've got a spot here with us. We have to tell the truth about the church without bashing and insulting and offending Christ's bride. We have to tell the truth about ourselves. And God also tells the truth to us but he says, all of your sin, all of your enmity was already la- it was already laid on Jesus. So if you're a hypocrite, Jesus became the hypocrite on the cross in your place. If you're a drunkard, Jesus is the He's the drunkard on the cross in your place. And that's not who you are anymore. If you're, if you're a filthy, pervert, or if you're a downright, bitter and bossy and disagreeable person, criticizing and critiquing everything and everyone, Jesus becomes that person for you on the cross. He takes that identity away from you and he dies for it. And and he dies for all the things that you should die for. And so when God looks at you, now he sees his son. It's true that you do sin. But all the sin that Jesus died for in your life, it was all future sin 2,000 years ago which is really good and helpful for us when we come and approach and engage this the future sins that we have not yet foreseen and some of us maybe many of us the sin in the future that on that day we're going to go bewilderedly how did I ever get here i never thought i could do something like that who am i jesus dies for all of that we tell the truth so God treats a functionally sinful church as legally and happily pure and righteous because of Jesus. So He says, "Come." Before before Jesus tells the lost to come to the spring, He tells His saved people to come to the well, to come and get the water. Keep returning keep returning. Day, every day, come back to the well. Every day, return. Every day, come back to me, because you, you're going to be thirsty again. You need me. This is, I'm your life. This is not a one time you came to the well, you took a sip, you signed a card, someone cried, they prayed over you, maybe you got dunked in some water, maybe in a river, maybe a pool, maybe the beach. Maybe you've been baptized twice, once at your church, but then you got to take a trip to Israel. It's like, I'm not skipping an opportunity to get baptized in the Jordan. We're doing this again, which is cool. Fine, you just got wet if you were already baptized. You just got wet, but that's cool. You gotta, I'm, not, I'm not making fun of that. If any of you have done that, please forgive me. But Jesus is saying, come back, come back, because returning to the return of Christ is your power to persevere. Every day, take 30 minutes to think of heaven to anticipate, to to reassert and lay back hold of promises that maybe at some moments in your life you were really inspired of, you were really, really sure. But right now, life is really loud. Your sin is real loud. Your shame is real loud. The sin of someone else on you is real loud. The accusation of Satan is loud. The accusation of liars is loud. The legitimate accusation, and they're right about you, is real loud. The lack of money, loud. The insecurity and an and unknown, and anticipation of the unknown. What lies in the shadows of the future? What, what's, what's about to happen? I don't know. I don't have any control. That's real loud. And he's going, come back. Come back. Come to me. Return. Return. Return to the return of Christ. verses 18 and 19, he says, I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life in the, in the holy city, which are described in this book. We don't tamper with the word of God. The word of God doesn't need help. You're like, well then why are you up here teaching and preaching it? Shouldn't we just read it for ourselves and understand? No, no, the Bible doesn't need help. We need help. We need help. But we are not to tamper with the word of God. Because that's that's not the work of that's not the work of the sons of God. That's the work of the sons of Satan, because that's what that's what Satan does. He does it from the beginning. Genesis 3. He tampers with the word of God, twists it. Leaves part of it out. Just nudges it this little direction here, this way. There's enough truth there. There's truth there in what Satan gives to Eve in her ear. But still a lie. We tell the truth about what God has said. And God the Father puts the Son of God on display in the Word here in Revelation. And he does it in a way that is meant to lead to the worship of his son. So in these two verses, John is making a clear reference that the Christians of this time, especially the Jewish Christians of this time, would have clearly recognized from the book of Deuteronomy, that's on the left side of your Bible, Deuteronomy, it's a book about surfers, look it up. Where it says, don't take away from or add to the word of God. That part of scripture is steeped in the context of Israel and in other words John is telling the churches don't fiddle with the word of God so you can serve other gods don't don't change it in order to serve your own purposes take it as it is and present it as it is as God has given it because otherwise if you do that it's a twisting God's word taking away adding to it what's that that's a work isn't it and you'll be known by what your fruit by your work Don't do that. Sit in judgment of yourself and go, am I producing fruit that is good? I want to look inside of myself and find out what actually I want and what I really believe because what I say doesn't seem to match up very often or not at all with what I say and what I do and how I behave. I need to think about that. We ought to. And I don't want us to become false prophets. False prophets. Beware the false prophets who basically say this about God, that about God, that about God, and therefore look at me. I'm awesome too. I'm good. And if you're like, man, I don't really want to wrestle that much. I don't want to. Are you, are you trying to get people to salvation? Because in the testing, you, you might find either A, the good and godly confidence that you really are saved, or B, you might find salvation. Again, the book of Philippians says work out your your salvation daily with fear and trembling. Wrestle it out. My hope is that you wouldn't end up in a scared, anxiety-ridden place. So I'll leave you with this one, just on that point alone. If you're worried about it and you're testing it, I'd say do that not only on your own with your Bible and with the Lord in the quiet of your closet, but I'd say do that with a brother or sister who is trustworthy, a Christian who also knows their Bible and they know you and they see you from the outside a way you can't see yourself. Do that with them too. The good news though is the problem of being worried about whether or not the fruit you're bearing is actually connected to saving grace in Christ, a faith in Christ or a faith in yourself. The good news about that is non-Christians don't tend to worry about that. That's not a non-Christian problem. A a negatively, sinfully religious person, they never test it. They just assume, well, I'm American. It's 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 a nation built on God. I'm American, of course. God and country. They wouldn't even think of testing their faith. My parents were Christians. I grew up in a church. Wouldn't think of testing my faith. Of course, it's done. I got the card in my wallet right here. You want to see it? Return to Christ. Return to Christ. And that's, that's how you're going to be protected from twisting his word. Going back and returning and returning and returning. Returning to the return of Christ, returning to the word that gives us his return. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things, he says, surely I am coming soon. That's Jesus. He says, surely I am coming soon. This is the third time He said it in this chapter. I'm coming soon. What's the right response? Yes, please. Yes, please. I want that. Verse 21, the last words that close the whole Bible out is the gospel. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. And amen is the, yes, it is so. Absolutely. Guaranteed. I agree. We agree. Uh Uh-huh. He says, I'm returning three times, because he means it, and he wants you to hear it. And so he's given us this book so we can persevere. We can stay in faith, so that we can stay in faith. And I want you to know, God demands of you, if you are a Christian, if you're a saved Christian, he demands of you that you persevere. That's a command. You need to persevere. You need to stay with me. You have to persevere in faith to inherit the kingdom of the faithful. Heaven isn't for those who start the race of faith. It's for those who finish the race in faith. And the only one who can make sure that you persevere isn't you. That's a tough one. I'm expected to do something that I can't. You're expected to do something that you can't on your own. And as our friend Jordan showed us today, I'm with you. I never leave you. I never forsake you. You have my spirit. So the very God who demands your perseverance and that you stick with him, he assures you that if you are in him, then you will persevere because he's going to preserve you. He who began a good work in you will be what? Faithful to complete it, yeah. You will persevere if you're in Christ because the Christ in you is going to preserve you. You'll be kept. He'll keep you. What about when this vision is done? What, just for a second now, right? The, the book of Revelation, closed. Whew, great, can't wait for the next sermon series. Let's go to a different topic, right? What about when John, like, Out of the spirit and no more visions, and Jesus isn't there talking to him. There's no more angels, there's no more wackiness and craziness. And now, where is John? He's sitting again on a rock on a hillside, a deserted, mostly deserted island named Patmos in the middle of the Mediterranean, alone, far away from the churches that he pastored, the beloved friends and family, and he's tired. In the vision, he didn't talk about how weary his old bones were, but he's in his 80s. And now all of a sudden, man, that rheumatoid's like crept back into his hand. He's been writing like a madman. And now the Lord has entered the vision. He's like, oh, oh, my hand. What's that like? It's like coming out of the book that you read and you're in a strange and awesome land on a strange and awesome adventure and then You close it, and you're like, oh, wow, and there's the dirty dishes. Or, and then the alarm on your phone beeps, and then it's time to get in my car and drive my boring everyday car on these boring everyday roads to go to the boring everyday elementary or middle school where i got to pick up my boring everyday kid, (laughs) whom you love dearly. You're ripped. John's ripped right back out of this, and he's ripped out of it and put back on earth. This, this, where you and I are living right now. It's hard, isn't it? We're leaky. We're so leaky. The things that we can have such confidence and clarity on in one moment or on one day, and the next day, it's just like a mist, like a fog that just disappears with the rising sun and just gone. Right? Isn't that frustrating? I want you, I want to tell you, the Apostle John wasn't created out of any better clay than you and I are made out of. He's just the apostle John. Everything I've said today about us is true for him. What's that going to be like for him? Closing the book of Revelation. You know what he's going to need? He's going to need to obey the words that he wrote down, which is blessed is the one who what keeps the word of this prophecy. He's going to have to go back and reread and reread. Am I sure what I saw? Did that really happen? Is this really true? I don't feel it. His mind and heart are just like yours and mine. The truth is going to stay, but his heart and his mind, they're not fully sanctified. They, they're, it's still leaky. Experience of his memory, it's going to fade. And the, de- by the way, the devil and the fallen world and his fallen mind and heart and the fallen people around him, all that volume is going to go right back onto John. It'll be hard for him. To tune it out, he's going to need to keep these words. He's going to have to return and return and return to the words that Jesus gave him. He's going to have to keep returning and returning to the return of Christ. And By God's grace, these things are all written down. By God's grace, every time Jesus says, Hey, by the way, write this down probably a moment where John's just like, he's got the parchment, he's got the pen, and he's just like... Write this down. Oh, yeah. By God's grace, what we need to know and hear and believe has been written down and preserved over the course of 2,000 years of human history. 2,000 years of human history, which, by the way has had a world that's been opposed to the gospel and the message of this God and this God himself, and it still hasn't killed it. It still hasn't gone away. It's so that we can, we can return and return and return, especially to the return of Christ, so we can stick with Jesus and persevere in our faith. So you can, yeah, what, a lot, what a time to be alive, so you can pull this up and return and return the word of God rather than refresh and refresh and refresh your Facebook or your Twitter or your Instagram. Come and return here at the end of this book of Revelation. I want to just offer this to you. I want to take you very quickly here at the end uh, to some highlights of the year of our study of preaching and worshiping the Lord through the book of Revelation. Uh, On Facebook this morning, I, I, I shared a document, it's a Google Doc, so you can just click click it, and if you see it, you can click on it, you have access to it. But it's, a, it's our year of preaching, and it's the main points of, of the sermons, along with the scripture that they go along with. Um, I, I hope that you'll look at that, maybe print it out, keep that, uh, use it. I don't want you to feel like, even though I'm done preaching through Revelation at the moment, that you're done returning to the return of Christ. But the book of Revelation is given to the church of Jesus so that we can overcome when under attack. So I won't hit all of these, I promise. But I want to remind you of some things that either you have forgotten or might, you, might, you might go, I missed that week or I was there that week. I just don't remember that. But in Revelation 1, 1 through 8, Revelation depicts Jesus as the ultimate judge who does conquer his and our enemies. In Revelation 1, the revelation of Christ is about perseverance, not prediction. This isn't about predicting the future and what governments are going to do what with what Apache helicopters or what, what laws or with what vaccines or credit cards or chips. This isn't about prediction. This, this is about perseverance. Revelation 1, you're supposed to overcome and your means of overcoming is Christ unveiled. You're going to overcome if you, if you see Jesus, keep your eyes on him. Revelation 2, the world is seducing you to a table of your destruction. But Jesus prepares a table for his people, a table of delight. Revelation 4, we we can overcome the loud chaos of this world around us by being overwhelmed by the glory of God. Revelation 5, the Lion of Judah has conquered his enemies. The Lion of Judah has conquered his enemies by his humility as the lamb. Revelation 7, those who are sealed by God will always belong to God and those who belong to God will receive all the good promises of God. You'll persevere. Why? Because he's he's preserving you. Revelation 9, you need to know this. God uses evil to defeat evil. God uses evil defeat evil Satan is a devil but he is God's devil he is on a leash Revelation 11 with a church under intense persecution and suffering I want you to remember I want you to know that the life of Jesus is the pattern for the life of the church and you are the church and if the, and if the path of Christ to his glory led to a cross why would we believe as his church that we ought not follow him. That's the path to glory. His glory. Revelation 12. You need to understand that you're not morally, you're not merely born into this world. You're born into a war. You really are born into a war. Revelation 13. Something doesn't need. Something doesn't have to be true or false to devastate you. You just gotta believe it. And Satan he doesn't care if he has to use some truth or full out blatant lies he just needs you to believe something beyond besides God's truth revelation 19 you can face any battle and even be defeated in this world but you can face any battle because the battle is already run it's already been won and that defeat that i just mentioned a defeat you might face in this world? Here's a good thing. Revelation chapter 21 says that this is the day that all the sad things come untrue. So your defeat is turned into victory because it serves your victory. Revelation 20, you are either justified from the cross or you're judged from the throne. Revelation 21, from the love of the lamb comes the beauty of the bride. God, God says you're beautiful. Do you know why? Because it's he, he loves you. His love for you is what makes you beautiful. 22, Revelation, the paradise of God is the presence of God. What makes heaven heaven is that God's there. And today, as we end, returning to the return of Christ is your power to persevere. Return and return. Maybe maybe try out what old Ricky Baxter used. Maybe I don't think it would be a waste of your time to try to spend 30 minutes every day just thinking about heaven, anticipating it, hoping in it, praying for it. Come, Lord Jesus, please. I hope you persevere. I pray that you will. If you are in Christ, I know you will. I love you. Thank you for worshiping the Lord with me in this sermon series. May you bless us by prayer, and we'll get into communion. Father God. pray in the name of your son Jesus because there's not another name worth praying to I pray because I know you're there on the other end of the line you're listening and you're faithful and you love us I ask that you would accomplish all that you say that you will and I know you will I ask that you would accomplish perseverance and the people of God here at Restoration City Church a perseverance that leads to transformation and growth That leads to evangelism, and new saving faith and conversion and maturity, bearing spiritual fruit. The good works of Jesus that we're saved into. I pray this for your glory and for our joy and the salvation of the nations. We pray this, Jesus. Please come soon. Amen.